Well, good morning. Welcome to H2O. It's so good to have you here with us. My name is Brian Wiles. If I haven't got to meet you, one of the pastors here at H2O, want to welcome H2O Akron, who's joining us via video. And if you've been with us, you know that we just wrapped up this series that we called Art of Love. And it was kind of a wide-reaching series where we tried to talk about some of the felt needs that many of us have in terms of relationships romantically. And this week, we are launching a new series where we're going to be diving into the book of Colossians over the next eight weeks. And so this is kind of more of a deeper reaching series where we're going to look uh, verse by verse at the book of Colossians and really try to pull out what God is telling us from this book. And we're calling the series Greater because I think as we've talked about here at H2O before, there's something within all of us that longs for greatness. When you think about our society, when you think about our world, we love to debate the topic of greatness, don't we? We love to try to figure out who is the greatest basketball player of all time. You know, was it Michael Jordan or LeBron? And some of us have really passionate opinions about that. In fact, we've been doing some social media, um, you know, uh, surveys trying to figure out what people think is the greater thing. You know, uh, Michigan or Ohio State, you know, or maybe if you're not into sports, that's okay. We, we like to figure out what's the greatest song of all time or what's the greatest movie of all time. We're drawn to greatness as humans, aren't we? There's something in each one of us that wants to know what is the greatest thing. And as we come to the book of Colossians, I think we're going to find out that there's a reason why we're drawn to greatness. The reason why we're drawn to greatness is because we were made to worship the greatest one who is Jesus Christ. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is going to be talking to us about throughout the book of Colossians. So as we jump in, um, since this is a little bit more of a, a deeper series as we're going to be diving into this book for the next eight weeks, I need to give you some background. And, and just a, a little uh, hint of information. Anytime you come to study the Bible, it's really important to get uh, the context of what's going on. Every single book in the Bible was written by a particular person. We believe that the Bible was inspired by God but it was also written by men as God inspired them. And so we have to know who wrote the books that we're reading. We have to know why they wrote them, where they were when they wrote them, so that we can understand everything that they're saying to us. And this book of Colossians was written to us by a man by the name of Paul. Now, if you, you know some about the Bible, Paul is a familiar name for many of us. Paul actually wrote much of the New Testament. And Paul did not start out his life as somebody who liked Jesus. In fact, if you know his story, Paul actually originally was named Saul, and he was somebody who persecuted the church. He actually hated Jesus. He hated Christians, and he made it his life's ambition to destroy the church. He thought that Jesus and everything that the church stood for was actually very wrong and leading people astray. And so Saul was this very religious guy who was trying to destroy what Jesus was laying the foundation for. Well, in Acts chapter 9, you can read how Saul has this moment where Jesus literally reveals himself to him in this amazing experience. And all of a sudden, this man who hated Jesus, who was persecuting and even killing Christians, Christians comes face to face with Jesus Christ himself and he does a complete 180 in his life. God actually blinds him during this moment. He has this crazy miraculous experience and throughout that experience Saul's heart softens and he opens up to this man who he once hated 
who he now falls in love with, who is Jesus. He changes his name from Saul to Paul, and he dedicates the rest of his life to now not trying to destroy the church, but build up the church and plant churches and disciple other men and women and raise them up so that the gospel that has now transformed his life can go on to other people. So that is who writes this letter to the church in Colossae uh, as we're reading this book together today. And Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Colossians, he's actually in a pretty interesting environment. He is in a prison, most likely in Rome, for sharing the gospel with people. And Paul actually never uh, met this church in Colossians that he's writing to. He just heard of their faith, and he was inspired by their faith. And he writes them this letter because, like many of these young churches, there were some problems that were starting to arise uh, in their church. It's interesting, a lot of the Bible, a lot of the New Testament is written to try to correct some wrongs, to try to help people figure out what they should believe and how they should live. And this church in Colossae was starting to drift a little bit from what they needed to believe. Here's what was going on. Here's the background. As this church had got planted, uh, they started to believe the gospel, but some people very early on started to infiltrate the church and they started to tell this lie. And the really powerful thing about a lot of lies still to this day is that there was some truth in the lie that they were told, right? Any good lie has a lot of truth in it, but just enough deception that you can actually believe it. So the lie that was circulating in this church in Colossae was this, that, that Jesus was a great starting point, but he wasn't quite enough. Jesus was a great starting point. He was somebody that you should probably look to a little bit, but if you wanted to be really spiritual, you had to do Jesus plus some other things. If you wanted to be really mature, you would follow Jesus, but you would also worship angels because that's what the really mature people did. If you wanted to follow Jesus, you would say, yeah, I'm a follower of him, but I also want to add in some religious ceremonies. Or Jesus is a good starting point. He's a good foundation, but you have to add in some good works. The really spiritual people have Jesus plus some other things. That's what it means to be spiritual. This false teaching was starting to infiltrate this church. And so Paul, even though he had never even been there, even though he didn't know these people personally, his heart broke for them because Paul loved the truth. And so he writes this letter to them to tell them that Jesus is the greatest. That Jesus is above all, he's before all, he created everything. And listen, you don't need to add anything to Jesus in fact, Jesus isn't just the, the starting point. Jesus is everything. He is the greatest. He's greater than anything you could imagine. So stop trying to add things to the gospel. Stop trying to make yourself more spiritual by adding these different things to what Jesus has already done for you. Paul is writing this letter to say, listen, you don't need to add anything to Jesus. I was thinking about just kind of the, the foundation of this book. And, and as we launch into it today, I wanted us to kind of get a picture of what was actually going on. And it, it, it reminded me of this analogy. My wife and I, we've been married 15 years. And uh, every anniversary that we have, we like to spend some time together. We try to get away if at all possible. And uh, one of the traditions that we started early on in our marriage is anytime we can, if we're on an anniversary trip, we like to look for a cheesecake factory restaurant, okay? Um, I don't know, maybe you think that's lame, but for us, you know, we live in Bowling Green. There's not cheesecake factories here. And so we, our first anniversary, we're out in Colorado, we're in Boulder, and we went to Cheesecake Factory, and we're like, 
oh, there's just something about an amazing piece of cheesecake that that feels right to celebrate your anniversary with that, you know? And so that became our tradition. We're like, this is going to be something that we want to do. So we've been in different cities in our anniversary. We've been in, in Boulder. We've been in Columbus, and we go to the Cheesecake Factory. This last year, we were in uh, Chicago, and we went to the Cheesecake Factory. There's a picture of us that might come up here. This is one of our anniversaries where we're just enjoying. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. And so as... As we celebrate our, our, our anniversary, we always have a great meal. And then at the end of our, our meal comes the really good stuff, you know. It's the cheesecake. Like, that's why you go to the Cheesecake Factory, right? And I was thinking about our anniversary trip. I was picturing going through my whole meal, sitting down, getting ready to, to eat my dessert. And just as I was about ready to eat my dessert, imagine this happening. The waiter walking up and say, hey, that piece of cheesecake, it looks pretty good, but it's not quite great yet. I got to add something to it. And I'm like, no, I think it looks all right. And he's like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you, it's not quite great yet. It's good, but I'm going to make it great. And the waiter comes up and he just does like this. Aren't you so mad at me right now? And he's like, there you go. Now you can celebrate your anniversary. I made that good piece of cheesecake great. You know how mad you would be, right? You would be so frustrated because you would say, no, it was already great. It was exactly how I wanted it to be. And when you added something to it, even though ketchup may be fine, it's not good in that context, right? It didn't need anything added to it. It was already great. And that's what Paul is telling this church. He's saying, listen. When you add something to the gospel, when you add something to Jesus, you actually take away from the beauty of who he is. When you think that he needs something more, some man-made work, something that you can do, when you add that in, you distract from who he truly is. See, here's the big idea for today. This is really the big idea for our series. It's this, that Jesus plus nothing equals greatness. Jesus Plus nothing. He doesn't need us to add to him. He doesn't need more religious ceremonies. He doesn't need us to worship angels or other things. And all those things are fine. And there's nothing wrong with tradition. And there's nothing wrong with ceremonies. But when we start to make them the point, and we add them on saying that that takes us to a new level, we start to diminish the true gospel. And Paul's saying, listen, you don't need to do that. And I think it's interesting because what was happening to this church some thousands of years ago can still happen to us to this day, can it? Think about our lives. Think about some of the things that, that we're taught or tempted to believe. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that like following Jesus is a good starting point, but you need just a little bit more to get more spiritual. Maybe you need to pray in a certain way, or maybe you need a certain set of self-help to, to continue to grow, or whatever the case may be. Good works, again, religious ceremonies. 2,000 years ago they were believing that, and still to this day. And I think as we read through the book of Colossians, we're going to find out we don't need anything else added to the gospel. Jesus is the greatest. He is greater than anything we could ask for and imagine. And he and him alone is more than enough for us. Have you ever thought about our world and, and how oftentimes we're, we're fed a lot of different things that people want us to consume? You know, two of the, the, the most 
famous words or two of the most powerful words in advertising, they're new and they're free, right? Any type of advertisement that you hear, oftentimes you'll hear those two words, hey, you know, buy one, get one free. And I got to admit, even myself, when I hear that buy one and get one free, I'm a sucker for deals, you know? And so I want to find out what it is, you know, or they tell you you get something brand new and we're drawn to that. But I think because many of us have had so much advertising and so many things kind of forced at us, we're skeptical oftentimes that that could actually work. We're skeptical that, that there's actually anything in life that's free or that anything can, that can really be new. And here as we come to this book, I think we have to realize that the gospel for us, it is a free gift extended to us by Jesus Christ. And it's real and it makes us new. And so the skepticism that we may have from so much of the, th the stuff that's, that's fed to us by the world, we can set aside when we come to the Bible and when we come to the gospel and we can know that there is such a thing as freedom. There is such a thing as free grace that's given to us by God. There is such a thing as new life that's given to us, not by our works, but by what's been done for us in Jesus Christ and the cross. And we can rest in that reality, knowing that Jesus is the greatest one that sets us free and gives us new life. So that's kind of the foundation of where we're going to be going throughout this series. Uh, like I said, we're going to be looking at each individual verse. This morning, we're actually only going to get through the first six verses as we're setting up this book. But I want to look at these first six verses. I'm going to get this off of here because I don't want to look at it anymore. It's kind of gross. We're going to look at the first six verses of this book. And we're going to unpack the foundation that Paul is laying for us over the next eight weeks. So you can open up to Colossians if you have your Bibles. You can follow along in the handout or on the screen behind us. It says this. We're just going to read the first two verses and then stop. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters, in Christ. And I just want to stop right there for a minute. I just want to look at Paul's greeting here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I think for a man who had his life originally designed to root out who Jesus actually was, for Paul, it was so important every time he introduced himself to any church that he would tie himself to Jesus Christ. And, and as we come to that reality, even as we're starting off this letter, I think there's something there for all of us to learn, and it's this, that Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth giving our lives to, and Jesus is worth giving our lives for. That's what Paul, who wrote this book and many other letters in the gospel, is saying as he's introducing himself as an apostle of Jesus. And we've said this here at H2O before, but I think this whole series being based on Jesus, we have to say it as we're starting it off here as well. The most important question you can ask and you can answer in life is who is Jesus? There's so many questions that get thrown at us in life. There's so many things that we think about and contemplate, and many of those things we need to think about and contemplate. But the most important question that all of us have to answer is who is Jesus and is he worth giving my life to him and, and, and then there's a lot of different answers that people try to come up with to that question uh, some people say well well maybe Jesus is just like whoever you want him to be I actually heard somebody say that this week Jesus is kind of like whoever you want him to be like you get to define 
who Jesus is. And I think that that mentality has come into many of our hearts and our minds. But the interesting thing is, as we look at the Bible, we don't get to define who Jesus is. We have to look at the life that he lived and then answer the question, who actually is he? Not, not who do we think he is, but who truly was he as he walked on this earth? There's a great thinker and a writer. His name is C.S. Lewis. And I think he helps us to, to start to get a good framework for this question of who is Jesus. He says, as you look at the pages of the Bible, there's only a couple different options that you can come to as you think about who Jesus is. And maybe you've heard it before, but C.S. Lewis says this. He says there's really three options that you can come to with Jesus. He's either Lord, he's who he says he is, He's a lunatic, he's a crazy person, or he's a liar. He can't be just a good person. He can't be just who you want him to be because if what we look at in the Bible is true, if the things that Jesus said are true, then we either have to look at them and say, yes, that was a statement that I'm going to affirm or that was a statement that I'm going to reject because Jesus said some powerful things. He said this statement in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, think about that for a minute. If, if we just believe that Jesus is a good person, a wise teacher, how could we accept that statement? Like if I stood up here and said, the only way for you to come to God is you to go do, and do it through me, you would look at and say, that guy's on a power trip. There's something wrong with him, right? Or he's crazy. But you either have to accept that statement or reject it, right? And so we can't, with a clear conscience, come to the Bible and say, well, Jesus was just a wise man or, or just a legend or just somebody who had some good teachings. We have to wrestle with what he actually said. If some of his teachings are true, then all of his teachings are true. And if some of his teachings are false, then none of his teachings are true. Jesus is either the Lord of the universe which means he should be the Lord of our lives, or he's somebody who is completely confused about who he himself was, or even worse, he's a liar. Somebody who is trying to get the glory of God for himself. And so as we're here today, we want you to know wholeheartedly we believe at H2O that Jesus is the Lord. That's why we do everything we do. That's why we worship him. That's why we say he's greater. But you have to make that decision for yourself as you sit here. And have to wrestle with, is Jesus somebody that I can trust with my life? Is Jesus somebody that I can say I will follow for the rest of my life? Let's jump back in. Let's look at this very next sentence. It's a really short sentence, but there's so much packed into here. It says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father. All right, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brothers, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I want you to know this. Secondly, grace and peace come from knowing God as our Father. Think about that for a minute. Do you guys know what grace is? Grace is undeserved favor, undeserved merit. We talked about that word free that many of us have a question, like, is anything actually in life free? Well, grace is free, undeserved merit and favor before God. And peace is being able to rest in who God is and who he made him to be. These two attributes that our world wants so bad, don't we? Don't we long for grace? Don't we long for peace? 
aren't we trying to be at peace with ourselves and at peace with other people? So many of us want this so bad, and Paul gives us an answer of how we can get it. Grace and peace to you in God our Father. See, when we understand the reality that God wants to know us as his children, it allows us to walk in grace and peace. And there is nothing more freeing than knowing that. When God tells us who he is in scripture, the primary way he refers to himself over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament is as a good father. And I don't know what your experience with your father is. I don't know what your background is. For some of us, that's hard to relate to. For some of us, that's a a saying that we're not even sure we can wrap our mind around. But as we look to the Bible, we see that it means that God loves us as his children the way a perfect father should. And none of us have perfect fathers here on earth, but we have a picture of what a father does. They protect us. They care for us. They let us be able to rest when we need to rest. They motivate us when we need motivated. And this is what God does for us. Grace and peace to you and God our Father. You know, my kids, I have three kids, talk about them a lot. And uh, especially when they were younger, like a lot of kids, they're afraid of the dark. Maybe you guys are, maybe some of you are still afraid of the dark. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe your kids are a little bit afraid of the dark. It's a, it's a phase a lot of kids go through, right? Well, I didn't want my kids to be afraid of the dark, you know? I, I wanted them to be brave. I wanted them to be able to go out into the dark and not be afraid anymore. And so there was this one particular time with Sam, my middle son, and he was really struggling with being afraid of the dark. And I said, buddy, we're going to go out into the woods when it's completely dark. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And I'm like, no, we're going to do it. It's going to be all right. And he's like, are you sure, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to face your fears. So we went and we parked in this parking lot and we started walking into the woods. And at first he was petrified, you know. He was so scared. And I was like, listen, Dad's with you. You don't have to be afraid. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I got a knife in my pocket. I even showed him this knife. I just wanted to do that. So I'm like, it's all right, buddy. It's okay. So we start walking into the woods, and he's more and more scared. And I'm like, I'll hold your hand, bud. It's all right. We start walking a little bit further, and he's really nervous, really afraid. I said, I just want you to trust me. Do you think I'd let anything happen to you? He's like, probably not, probably not. (laughs) It's going to be all right. We walk into the woods a little bit further, and he's still scared. But I said, buddy. You can trust me. I've been here before. I know that there's nothing to be afraid of. And he started to calm down a little bit more. And we walked further into the woods, and we started talking, and we started having this conversation. And all of a sudden, his attention went from what he was so afraid of to just being with Dad. You know, even though we were out in a place where he was so restless, so scared. And that's the same thing that Paul's telling us that we can have with God. Grace and peace, not being restless, but peace comes from knowing God as Father. He cares about us so much. And I'm an imperfect dad. Think how beautiful and amazing God is for us. Just like my son was able to to kind of take the pressure off and just enjoy being with me. The same is true of God and all of us. He wants you to know you can have peace when you rest in him. That's how we know peace and grace, when we know God 
as our Father. It changes the way that we interact with others. It changes the way that we interact even with ourselves. Let's wrap up with this last couple of verses. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. It says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard and the true message of the gospel that has come to you. See, the final thing that I think we can learn from just these first six verses is this. Knowing the greatness of Christ leads to thankfulness in all circumstances. Knowing the greatness of Christ leads to thankfulness in every single circumstance that we face. Have you ever noticed that our world can be a little bit negative at times? Have you ever noticed in our, in our world that's oftentimes sensational, it's easy to vent? The easy way out is to vent about things, right? The easy way out is to be negative because you can always find something negative with any situation. But Paul, do you know where he was? Remember what we talked about at the beginning of this series? Paul's in jail. He's in a Roman prison. He's in jail for actually doing something good. He's in jail for sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus. Now, if anybody had an opportunity to be negative, if anybody had an opportunity or a reason to vent or to be upset, it would have been Paul in this moment. But what does he do? He turns his attention to how he can be thankful. Have you ever been to a jail before? Have you ever been in jail? Maybe some of us have. I don't know. I've been there a couple times as a pastor. I haven't personally been there. <laughs> I haven't been sentenced there or anything. But I've visited them a couple times. I can honestly tell you, last time I went, I came home to my wife and I said, I honestly don't know how people do this. It's depressing. The walls felt like they were closing in after 40 minutes of being there and visiting. He had every reason to vent and complain and be negative. And yet instead, he looks to this church who he hasn't even met and he says this, we always thank God, our Father, for you. I am so thankful for what God is doing in you. Can you imagine that perspective? You see, when we understand the greatness of Christ, it gives us perspective in life that we can look at any circumstance and say there's something to be thankful for because we serve a great God who loves us and cares for us and died for us no matter what. That's the gospel. That's the power of the greatness of Christ as it transcends and moves into our hearts and into our lives. See, listen, don't wait for a circumstance to come into your life that you can be thankful for and then be thankful for it. Make a decision to be a thankful, grateful person because of the great God that you serve and allow each and every circumstance find something to be thankful in it. That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be people of hope. He wants us to be people of joy. He says that we can be people of love, and that is done when we understand the power of the gospel and the greatness of Jesus Christ, that we don't need to add anything to him, but the gospel, it's free, and it makes us new, and it moves us to love people in powerful ways, and it moves us to be thankful no matter what. See, Paul says, I want you to know the true message of the gospel. And we'll close with that because there was a, a false gospel that was starting to infiltrate this church 
and there's many false gospels that each and every one of us can be tempted to start to believe. It's about me. It's about how much I work my way to Jesus. I need to do a little bit more for God to accept me. I need to do a little bit more for God to love me. The true gospel is you just the way you are. God loves you and cares for you and dies for you. Jesus is the greatest. And when we fix our eyes and our hearts on him, and we look to what he's already done for us, being God in heaven, creating the whole world, but choosing to come to this earth to live and to die for you and I because we needed to be made right with him, going to the grave, raising from the grave, defeating death, and now offering us free eternal life. The true gospel, it sets us free and allows us to walk in thankfulness and gratefulness. So I'm excited for this series as we're going to be journeying together and seeing how great and amazing Jesus is and how that truth transforms the way that we think and transforms the way that we live. Let's pray and let's worship together.